Now, I'm going to be showing my age here, but whenever I hear the word Ebenezer, as we've just heard in the reading, I think of the Shaman's 1992 controversial dance hit, Ebenezer Good, which made it to number one for four weeks. He's a good, he's a good, he's Ebenezer Good. Show, you know, 11 a.m., bit of laughter, 4 p.m., tumbleweed. This is good news. This is good news for you. I've had it rumbling around in my mind all week, trying to prepare for this sermon really annoyingly. You've got no idea what I'm talking about. You've never heard of it. It's not playing around in your mind. Brilliant. It means you can come to this word afresh. Ebenezer, this wonderful Hebrew word that means thus far the Lord has helped us. He's helped us in the past. He's helped us right now. And he will help us whatever comes our way in the future. You'll be pleased to know if you've been following our sermon series, this is a more upbeat message this week after the hard-hitting, judgment-heavy chapters of the past few weeks. Samuel, did you notice, is back on the scene. Samuel, God's chosen prophet, priest and judge. He's been away. Chapter 4, 5, 6, he's back. He's calling God's people, the Israelites, back to him. And they come back to the Lord and they put away their idols. They serve him alone. And what a turnaround. With this marvelous victory over the Philistines, peace with the Amorites and hope for the future. It is an upbeat message for us today. And it is a call to you and I, wherever we are coming from today, to come back to the Lord, whether you're close to him right now, far from him right now, here is a call to come back to him, to find help and hope in him. If you are someone looking into Christian things, here is a call to make a commitment to Jesus Christ and to actually start following him as soon as you are ready. If you are someone here who has perhaps been drifting from the Lord, it happens to all of us. We just lose sight, lose focus. Other things get in the way of our relationship with God. Here is a call to come back to him this afternoon for the help and hope that you need. It seems like a week does not go by at the moment with another church leader having a fall from grace. I'm not sure if you heard about Steve Timmis from the Crowded House Network, who was removed from his position as CEO in the Acts 29 Network because of accusations of abusive um, leadership. And look, if you've been following these stories, you know about the other leaders, you might be thinking to yourself, my goodness, what is going on with the evangelical wing of the church in this country right now? I mean, the church has a rough ride as it is, let alone when its own leaders are making such a mess of things as well. And things are really bad. But there is hope from this passage because things aren't half as bad as they were for Israel back then. And as soon as they came back to the Lord, there was hope, there was help, there was growth. It can be true for the church today. No matter how bad things get, individually in our own lives, corporately in the life of the church, always hope, always help, if we turn back to the Lord. Now, the question is, how do we do that? 
When you hear those words, turn back to the Lord, what does that mean? How do we do it rightly? These verses show us three aspects to coming back to the Lord. First, come back to him, verses two to four, in true repentance. Glance down at page 277, chapter seven, verse two. The ark, that is the ark of the Lord, remained at kiriath Jerim a long time, 20 years in all. Then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord, literally lamented after the Lord. It has only taken them 20 years, but it seems that the people of Israel finally have come to their senses, seen the errors of their ways and the terrible consequences of trying to live life without the Lord. The terrible consequences of trying to find your fulfillment, your satisfaction, your meaning in anyone or anything apart from him who is the source of life, the meaning of life. Lord, we want you back. They're lamenting after him. But do you notice how Samuel is cautious with them in verse 3? So Samuel said to all the Israelites, if you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Ashtoreths and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve him only and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Because here is the test of true repentance, a true turning back to the Lord, not just lamenting after the Lord, as important as that is, but actually getting rid of anyone or anything that keeps you from the Lord. It is strong language here. Urgent action required. True repentance, get rid of these foreign gods these Baals, the Ashtoreths. That is the mark of true repentance. Imagine the unfaithful husband trying to come back to his wife, his family, with his lover still in tow. I mean, that would be ridiculous, right? That is not going to work. You, you want to come back to us? You want to come back to the family? Get rid of her. And so it is with the Lord. So it is with the relationship with God himself. There are to be no other rivals. It is an exclusive relationship. He wants our ultimate allegiance. And anything that gets in the way of that has to go. Think of the New Testament command. Colossians 3 verse 5, if you want to look up the reference later, where Paul commands the church to put to death. Do you hear that language? Put to death whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. You and I, probably not, bowing down to literal physical idols like Baals and Ashtoreths today. But all of us are struggling with the idols of the heart which are very much alive and kicking. And God says, you're coming back to me, you get rid of them. 
evil desires, lust, greed, gone. And you know what? These idols can be more subtle than that. These are obvious ones. Just got to get rid of them. Put them to death. They're more subtle ones. The app on your phone, which is taking up so much of your time that is actually drawing you away from time with God. And you've got very little time with the Lord now. There might be nothing wrong with that app at all. Nothing wrong with it per se. But the hold it has on you and the damage it is doing to your relationship to the Lord, perhaps the best thing you can do in this situation is just delete the app. Get rid of it. A friendship. A relationship which is drawing you away from the Lord. It is actually drawing you away from church. Relationships are a good thing. God made us for friendships. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if a friendship, if a relationship is causing you to drift away from the Lord, then perhaps the best thing you can do, assuming you're not married to this person, is to end that relationship. Get rid of all foreign gods. Anything that keeps you from an ultimate allegiance to me. Me, number one in your life. We've had a load of births recently at the 4 p.m. It's such good news. Congratulations if you're one of the parents. It is so easy to idolize children. To make life all about them. And if that's you, if that's your temptation, of course this verse is not saying get rid of your children, but it is saying, maybe you want to something, but I have four. Um, what it is saying is that desire deep down to make it all about them, to find your ultimate identity in them, get your ultimate satisfaction from them, their success. That desire has to go. So come back to the Lord in true repentance. And look, this is not just true on an individual level. This is true on a church level as well. All the idols of power, which so often lead to the abuse scandals that we have been reading about in the church recently. We corporately, as a church, need to get rid of them. Bring them to the cross. See the way Jesus Christ lays down all his power for our sake calls us to follow his example. He is the ultimate leader, not us. And insofar, if we are playing any part in the cover-up of those scandals, the silencing of what is going on, then that is not true repentance, and we have not truly yet returned to the Lord. Come back to him. Do it now. In true repentance. Second thing to see from these verses, to come back to the Lord, is to do it in true dependence. If you've been following our series in 1 Samuel, you will know that the Israelites, God's people, had totally lost sight of God. They were just going through the motions with him. They weren't praying to him, weren't depending on him, and they ended up with this horrible defeat. You remember back in chapter 4, not once, but twice. And when the Ark of the Lord finally came back into Israelite territory, 70 of them were struck down dead because they looked into the Ark. 
They were complacent. They were presumptuous. They were self-reliant. But look at them now in verses 5 to 11, this incredible transformation as they turn back to the Lord. And we read in verse 6, But on that day they fasted, and there they confessed, we have sinned against the Lord. Verse 8, they said to Samuel, after they heard about the Philistines coming up to attack them, they said to Samuel, do not stop crying out to the Lord our God for us, that he may rescue us from the hand of the Philistines. End of verse 9, Samuel cried out to the Lord on Israel's behalf, and the Lord answered him. Do you see the difference now? Do you see the utter dependence of the Israelites on the Lord in prayer, seeking him, confessing their sin to him, asking Samuel to pray for them and and not stop praying for them? Because that's what's needed, this total dependence on the Lord in prayer. So can I ask you, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, is prayer a first point of call Or is it more like a last resort? First point of call or last resort? Because a true turning back to the Lord means a true dependence on him in prayer. With our sin, no longer making excuses for our sin. I was tired. I didn't know. No longer blame shifting with our sin. They started it. The devil made me do it. No longer atoning for our sin, punishing ourselves for our sin. Woe is me. I'll do better next time. I promise. But simply and freely confessing your sin to the Lord, the only one who can deal with it and who delights to do so. Lord, I am sorry from drifting for you this past month please forgive me. Simple as that. Lord, we are sorry that as a church, we have not dealt with these idols of power when we saw them. Please forgive us. Will you let prayer be a first port of call with your sin? And look, I know it can feel hypocritical if you've been drifting from the Lord, and perhaps that's you today. Perhaps you've been indulging with things that you know are offensive to the Lord. Can I really come back to him, just confess my sin freely? You can feel a hypocrite, but you know what? That's exactly why Jesus Christ was born. That's exactly why he died on a cross. To take that offense fully for you. Samuel interceding for the people here. Jesus Christ, our perfect intercessor between us and God. So confess your sin. Do it now in the quiet of your own heart. Say, sorry, God, and know you are absolutely forgiven. It is a wonderful thing. Come back to the Lord in true dependence on him for your sin and with our enemies as well. It's marvelous just how easily the Lord defeats the Philistines in these verses. Have a look at verse 10. While Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering, The Philistines drew near to engage Israel in battle. But that day the Lord thundered with loud thunder against the Philistines and threw them into such a panic that they were routed before the Israelites. 
The men of Israel rushed out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines, slaughtering them along the way to a point below Bethkar. Now, we need to be very careful here with the application of these verses for us today. The Philistines are no longer the church's enemies. Jesus Christ clearly says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. But Jesus is equally clear that the church still has an enemy today. One who is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour, if you want the reference, 1 Peter 5. One who is firing his flaming arrows at the church every day, Ephesians 6. Our enemy is the devil. We are in a spiritual battle. And I wonder how dependent you and I are on the Lord for this battle. Back in chapter 4, Israel had a full army. They had all their leaders. Even the ark of the Lord was with them. And they were defeated. 34,000 of them killed. Why? Because they were not depending on the Lord. Here in chapter 7, 20 years later, I'm not sure if it's 34,000 less because obviously they had children the rest of it. It's a lot less people, a lot less leaders. We know from chapter 13 that the Philistines removed all the blacksmiths from the land so the Israelites couldn't make more weapons. They have a lot less resources and yet the victory here is so simple, so easy. Why? Because they are depending again on the Lord because victory is not about the state of the army, the leaders, the gifting of your leaders, the resources available to you but simply about this dependence on God in prayer. And look, let's apply this to the state of the church today in this country. What we are seeing in the evangelical wing of the church right now with the fall of these leaders is shameful. It is awful. But please do not think for one moment that all hope is now lost for the church in this country. Don't think it's all gloom and doom, you know, with the rate of decline that we keep being told about, that by 2050 or whenever it is, there are going to be no Christians left in this country. No! If God is purging the leadership right now, in order to bring us back to him, if God is draining us of our resources so that we will be more dependent on him, then bring it on. Because Jesus Christ has promised, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He doesn't need our gifted leaders. He doesn't need our resources. We just need to depend on him. He gives the victory with such ease. Will we trust him with it? Now, look, that doesn't mean we just sit around and do nothing. In verse 11, the men of Israel still had to pursue the Philistines and defeat them. And we still need to take up our shield of faith and pray for the next generation of leaders, as Matthew 9.38 tells us to do, to identify them, to train them, to send them out. Godly leaders. You and I still need to speak the truth about Jesus wherever the Lord places us, to speak of him, to love like him. And as we do that, in true dependence on him, in prayer, with our sin, with our enemies, we can have absolute confidence that God's kingdom will come on earth as in heaven and the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Will you come back to the Lord now?
in true dependence on him. Third and final thing to see from these verses. Come back to the Lord in true appreciation of him. True repentance, true dependence, true appreciation. Verse 12. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far the Lord has helped us. Now you find it a little bit strange, these memorial stones that you read often about in the Old Testament. I think, what are, these, what are these stones? What's it all about? It's not that di- much different to these memorial stones you see, like around this church building here. Why do people put up memorial stones so we, we can remember people by? Why is Samuel putting up this memorial stone? To remember God by. And the way he's helped them with this victory. It is so easy to forget how much the Lord helps us. Whether it's on the big scale, the ultimate scale, and Jesus Christ's death for us, he's helped us by saving us. That's why we have the Lord's Supper. That's why we celebrate that every other week here, so we can remember how the Lord has helped us once and for all on the cross. But it's important to remember all the different ways that the Lord helps us just day by day on a small scale. We had a little mini crisis in the Jackson household last month. Um, one of the, um, the school application form for our fourth child, Jacob, got filled in incorrectly. Now, notice how I put that in the past tense, it got, uh, passive tense, it got, got filled in incorrectly. I'm, I'm not blaming anyone. And then to our shock, even though he filled this form in a year or so ago, thought it was all sorted and everyone else was getting their places in the school and we hadn't got one. We called up and said, what's happened again? No, you haven't got a place. You put the wrong date of birth in. They're not coming till next year. And we're like, oh my goodness, I don't believe it. We thought, finally, all four kids, they're in school. They're going to be in the same school. We're going to have one school run. All our hopes were dashed. So a month ago, Joe and I were praying like mad, as if by some miracle, you know, a place would come up, even though this has never happened before with our three other kids in any other year. Anyhow, you know where this is going. We got a phone call this week from the school. A place has come up for your son Jacob. Would you like it? Yes, we would. The reason I tell you this is not to get away with my child. It is that. It is amazing. Just five days later, how already I am forgetting about it, just moving on with my life, forgetting the way the Lord has helped us in such a powerful way this past month, and in particular this past week. It is amazing. I don't know how you find it, how quickly we can forget just the Lord's small mercies to us every day. How often I find myself saying to myself, yeah, you know, the Lord does things like that. What? No, the Lord does things like that. He helped me in this incredibly way. He's done it in the past. He's done it right now. He will do it every day in the future. Do you see that? And if right now you can't see anything, at least see it in Jesus Christ and his death for you, his unconditional love for you. He really does help us. And we need to find a way to remember that. Not forget it. I was chatting to one of you last Sunday. You mentioned how you were writing down all the ways that the Lord has helped you, specifically in this tough time over the past two months. And you are writing it down because it's so easy to forget and you don't want to forget. What a wonderful idea. Can I encourage us all in some way to do something like that? Whether it's writing it down in a diary, whether it's in Evernote, whatever it is for you, your own personal Ebenezer, thus far the Lord has helped us. And did you notice the way Samuel says, thus far? 
the Lord has helped us. You might think to yourself, really, thus far? During these past 20 years of Philistine oppression? Thus far, including that horrible defeat by the Philistines and 34,000 killed? But insofar as it brought the nation back to the Lord in this incredibly powerful way, yes, thus far, no matter how bad things get, there is always help for you, there is always hope for you in Jesus Christ, in coming back to the Lord and his help which is always available to you. Come back to the Lord in true appreciation of his help Come back to the Lord in true appreciation of his word. Final thing to see, verse 15. Samuel continued as Israel's leader all the days of his life. From year to year, he went on a circuit from Bethel to Gigal to Mizpah, judging Israel in all those places. But he always went back to Ramah where his home was, and there he also held court for Israel, and he built an altar there to the Lord. Now, it is so easy just to skip over these verses after the dramatic events of Mizpah and this defeat of the Philistines and the nation of Israel turning back to the Lord in this true repentance. And we think, oh, this is a little bit boring. It's just like Samuel on this little preaching circuit around the towns of Israel. But look, what happened in Mizpah would have been a day, two at most. This is just day-to-day life. Year by year, relationship with God. Samuel, God's prophet, priest, judge, bringing the word of the Lord to the people. So they could hear the word, live by the word. It is just as important and just as momentous, even if it might not seem like that to us. And it could be for you. You come to church each week. It's just a little bit dull, maybe, at times. Week in, week out, hearing the message read and preached. Day by day, reading God's word. It is, that is brilliant. That is momentous. That is what's going to keep your heart close to the Lord, keep you from drifting from the Lord, keep you appreciative of him, keep you repenting, depending, appreciative. And it's a wonderful thing. You see the value of God's word and getting it in your ears and in your heart day by day, year by year. There we have it, a call back to the Lord. Let's do it now, right now, in repentance, in dependence of him, in appreciation of him. Let me pray that for us now. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for this next part of 1 Samuel. Thank you. We hear very clearly this call to come back to you in true repentance, ridding ourselves of anyone or anything that would get in the way of our relationship with you. In true dependence on you with our sin, with our enemy, the devil, please help us with that. Would your spirit be at work in our hearts to do it? And in true appreciation of you, help us to think practically what would that look like for us in the week ahead, to have our own personal Ebenezer, how we are going to make sure that we continue day by day to listen to your word, to obey it, and to serve you alone. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.